Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Legion of Myth live stream. Actually, your Legion of Myth live stream. That's right. On this beautiful day in September, you're looking at episode 127. And we have a good one for you today. Oh, it is both anime and video game heavy. So heavy, no one can lift it. My, my computer is literally heavier now because of the information put in it, all, all the stuff I'm going to give you. It's great. Now, normally you'd be hearing the dulcet tones of Alex Garthon Marsh and not me, Brett Heathen, Doc Griffin, but you see, Garthon is still negotiating with the NSA, just dotting the I's, crossing the T's to come back from his little hidey hole in Argentina. But that would happen later tonight, I imagine. So he'll be back next week, but until then... We have a very special guest. Please say hello to, ta-da, Duncan Idaho. Duncan Idaho, say hello. Hello, hello. Oh, I right. promise that I am not sabotaging Garthon's return. That's that's good to know. That's good to know <laughs> because the NSA can get kind of, you know, fidgety with their trigger fingers. Yeah. Uh, yep. Uh, today's segments are uh, me. We have uh, anime on the stream today, and we have two anime: Chronos Ruler and Number Six, and then. Our guest host, Duncan Ido, is going to tell us all about Titanfall 2 and Halo 5. Yeah! And then, pre-recorded, mind you, sent sent to me via several different tour servers, uh, Garthon's Electric Life, Zelda 2, The Adventure of Link, and I forgot to write in, that is uh, NES, the Nintendo Entertainment System, the original. <laughs> so, get ready for some 8-bit action on that one. The console that you spent more time blowing into the cartridges than actually playing. <laughs> exactly right. And to, you know what's really funny is that uh, the company says that's a myth, it doesn't work, but every single person who ever had an NES said, no, that they're full of crap, it works. Yeah, it totally works. Come on. <laughs> but uh. we're going to head into our disclaimer. Uh, the opinions expressed in this episode are solely the opinions of the individual host or commentator and are not representative of the entire Legion of Myth organization. While we make an effort to provide a family-friendly atmosphere, there may be the occasional use of foul or offensive language. Thank you for your understanding and continued viewership. All right, well, that worked out really well. I, I feel safer now. How do you feel? I feel very, very safe. Excellent. Snugs, snuggles for everybody. Okay. Yeah, we don't do that on Roundtab. <laughs> Even though Dragoon just says things that triggers me, makes my blood boil, I'm going to see. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The Foundry is totally that kind of medium. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's it's all Nazi racism over there. It's all crazy. Oh, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm yeah. kidding. It's never. It's none of that. It's none of that. <laughs> I don't want someone to figure, to think that. Yes, that's how it is. Not at all. Not at all. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Totally not. Totally not. The greatest heresy that we've ever done. Oh God. Let's see. Um. Hey, Pax Federaca. How you doing? Hey. God. I, like I don't know if we've ever done something actually that controversial, even within Star Trek Online. Nope. Maybe like, oh, this update was a little less content heavy. No, 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 no. We're just like in a uh, preschool kindergarten group. Pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> um, of like, hey, we like things. And I mean, thanks for a good show. Yeah, it is. It's a good show. And I, I want to thank you for coming on. I appreciate it. And coming on camera, which is oh, a shocker yeah. for everyone because you you don't have cameras over at the over at the Foundry Roundtable. Uh, no, no, no. Not at all. Not okay. at all. And, oh, uh, I'm looking for something. Crap. Well, while you're looking, I'm going to tell everyone that they can like, subscribe, and comment here. If you're watching this on Twitch, you can actually jump in right now. If you're watching this on YouTube, then please uh, tell us what you like. Tell us what you didn't like. Maybe maybe we can accommodate. Maybe, maybe you think we're tools. That's fine. Tell us. 
You know, thumbs up, thumbs down. We'd rather have a thumbs up, but thumbs down is feedback. Whether or not positive, I don't care. But uh, if you want to see what's going on with the Legion of Myth, you can check out Reddit, Facebook, and our Twitter, and you'll be in the know. You want to jump on and talk to talk to some of us because we commonly hang out on Discord. Uh, you, there's our Discord link. You can use that. Uh, we have Facebook Messenger, and our Steam group has been updated recently, so check that out. And if you want to listen to us while you're on a long drive in the car, maybe you're going on vacation this weekend. Hey, it's holiday weekend. Oh yeah, yeah. So you can uh, I got you can two download. Days yeah, there you go. You can download this. Uh, this is a podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Google Play Music. Uh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, and I'm oh, sure. No, no, I got I got swag. I got swag. Check this out. Uh, we got shirts, man. All the oh, shirts yeah, in the yeah, world. That's right. Uh, if you want to support us, you want you want to help us out. You think we're doing a good job? Hey, throw 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 a couple bucks our way. You know, Patreon does that for us. Uh, if if you uh, if you like uh, the Legion of Myth enough to buy a T-shirt, they are reasonably priced. Thank you. You're welcome. And they are high quality stuff. Duncan has one right now. He should be wearing it. Yeah, yeah. I just showed it off to the camera. Excellent. Good deal. I have I have my yeah. own shirt right now. Yeah, that's right. And uh, pull out a, a Garthon's compo. I mean, you you can wear yellow and look cool in this shirt. No, <laughs> no one else could pull this off, except the uh, Garthon's comic pull Legion of Myth. That's it. Yeah, uh, there needs to be a Secret Empire T-shirt, <laughs> so we can cut it, <laughs> so we could burn it in effigy on camera. Uh, Garthon will be all yeah. about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. This is the secret. Just uh, Secret Empire, terrible. It was just don't buy Secret Empire. I mean. Uh, yeah, just uh, I, I'm tempted to make that a shirt now. <laughs> I, I would just need to go back to just some sort of boiling rage comment. Yeah, and although Garth has all the boiling rage for Secret Empire, and uh, since, since he's away, he couldn't get his comic pull, so I had to I had to read the the last Secret Empire number ten oh. and tell him about it, and he laughed because he called it. He called it months ago exactly what they were going to do and exactly how they were going to do it. I'm so not going to tell anyone. It's it's going to be it's going to be in the comic next week. I'm not telling anyone. Okay, so this is uh, getting towards the finale. This is the finale. Spoilers. This is okay, the end. So Secret Empire number ten is finale. the end of Secret Empire. And yes, Baldahar, the Stig is guarding the closet right now. Actually, he's blending in. He's part. He's part of the building. His spirit inhabits this place. There you go. So let's uh, let's get this show on the road with the Heathen Dogs, Heathen Dogma anime on the stream today. I got a couple of uh, no, I got one gem for you and one stinker. But that's how life works, all right? And the, our, my first anime is going to be Kronos Ruler. Now, this one has an interesting premise, all right? Uh, the premise is that uh, human beings uh, often make mistakes. Some of them are so bad that you're filled with such crushing regret or remorse. Uh, a, a demon uh, called a, a, a horologue actually manifests to steal your time away. You you want you you you're wishing that you had to do it over again. But instead, this thing comes and and actually takes time away from you. Now, I'm going to get into that and how that happens uh, in uh, in the segment. But uh, these the people you're seeing right here, the lion share, the the ones in the in the forefront. They are they are the Kronos rulers. They are the ones who fight these time demons and uh, save people from from their own regret and remorse, basically. So let's let's get to it. Let's see the main character. I'll actually, see the details first. Obviously, directed by Masato Masume, Masune, uh, written by Michiko Yokote, uh, music by Evan Call. Who's Evan? 
Is he a foreign exchange student? I don't know, but okay. Uh, uh. St- studios project number nine, licensed by Funimation. The original networks were Tokyo MX, BS11, Sun, and KBS. Original run was right now, July 7th, 2017 to present. It is ongoing. As of yesterday, there are nine episodes, and you can watch them currently on Hulu. So if you, if you, like, my, if you like my review, then hey, you can just jump in on this as it's happening. I, I believe every Friday... Every Friday it comes in on Hulu, a brand new episode. Hmm. Which is, I think, a day or two after it, uh, the original airing in Japan. So, there you go. Oh, that's actually pretty nice. Yeah. And it is subtitled, but not dubbed, because uh, so something that's a day or two from from original <laughs> air is not going to be dubbed. <laughs> it's going to be uh, I mean, subbed, but not dubbed. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they could just have like a, a just a table of actors just reading out basically. <laughs> yeah, they could do that. They could do that, but they don't do that. <laughs> Anyway, let's let's get to the main characters. The main character, the, the the main character is Victor Putin. Now, uh, I I spoke with with Max Liao and his wife, who is who is Japanese, born in Okinawa, and uh, the there is no T sound in in Japanese. It's a it's a chin. So this would be Puchin, really. That's how it would be pronounced. Okay. Now I almost I almost changed it for this broadcast, but then then I I dug into his backstory a little bit. His father is Alexander Putin. He is Russian. <laughs> so guess okay. what Putin's his name that's why his name's Victor and he's half Japanese he's not full Japanese he's half Japanese so that's his that's his true name right there that's how it's just maybe Japanese can't pronounce it correctly but that just makes his life even suckier because he lives in Japan <laughs> <laughs> anyway he is the main protagonist of the story he uh, he is a member of the secret organization called Kronos and uh, the, these are people who are trained to fight the horror logs or time demons they they do so with a, with an object called the oath of time it's a it's a red sphere that they have somewhere on their person and they use it to either speed up or slow down time in a localized area all right now i have i have a picture i have a picture i have a clip of a uh, victor using this against a time demon let's check that out right now He's using it on his deck of cards. And you see right here, there it is. He slowed down time on his deck of cards by twelve by a factor of twelve hundred. Which is why they're hanging in the air, because you know, they're not falling yet. Okay, now the the whole thing he's he slowed down his cards to create a barrier. A, a, a barrier of of dead time. Basically dead time. So so the horror log could not get through. You know that it's an excellent defense, obviously. Yeah. 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 I mean, uh, and he speeds up the cards when he throws them. You know, twelve hundred times. See, you you throw a you throw a playing card. A really expert playing card thrower can can uh, can slice into a watermelon. <laughs> I, I've seen it. Party tricks and online YouTube. You can you can you can check it out after the stream. But uh, <laughs> if you speed up that card by twelve hundred percent. It's an anti-tank weapon. Yeah, yeah, it's it's it's, it's a bullet now. It's, it's a really sharp bullet, so it's really really effective. Now, the reason he looks so young is because he had time stolen from him. A, a horror log uh, bit into him and started draining him of his time, and that re- regresses both your your mental age and your physical age. 
So physically, he's about 16 to 17 years old. And mentally, he's about 16 or 17 years old because he lost all of his experiences along with his age. So his mm. whole quest in this thing is to find the horror log that stole his time and get it back. Theoretically, it's possible, but it's really never been done. So, yeah. Maybe. Maybe not. Anyway, uh, he yeah. is the, he's the father to, to the second character, uh, Kiri, who we're going to look at again. And, of course, his main weapon is a deck of cards. Uh, he creates shields. He can create uh, stairs with them. He throws them He throws them in the, in the air, stops their time, and steps on them like stairs to get to high places or down from high places or whatever. Throws them to create weapons, uh, barriers you, you saw. And uh, it's very, very effective. And it's uh, I, I like the whole visual of it, you know? I, I, I really like the whole visual of him using playing cards as a weapon. It's fun. Yeah, 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 it's good. yeah. We'll get to his son, his son Kiri Putin. Uh, obviously, son of Victor. He is the uh, he is the uh, uh, secondary protagonist. Uh, he's determined to get his father's time back because he was so angry at his father for leaving all the time. He was always off on quote unquote business trips, and he and he always thought his father was just out gambling because he was a he was a gambler. That's which is why his younger self uses playing cards because he learned young. But uh, what he was really doing was fighting these time demons all over the world so he's like oh man i feel like an idiot <laughs> i was so pissed at him my entire childhood but really he was saving the world so he wants to get his father's time back so his father remembers uh all the things that he does because uh victor knows that he's that he's a curious father but he has no memories he has he just doesn't have the lion's share of the memories. so kiri is 17 years old so he only remembers him as a five-year-old no, nothing nothing older because his time was stolen so he wants to get his father's time back so he can apologize so he, he can he can tell him yeah i get it now i'm very sorry i was i was cruel to you in my teenage years because he was because he thought his father was a deadbeat and and you know <laughs> leaving him in babysitters all the time uh he's played as as the straight man all right now uh, ev uh everyone kind of makes fun of him for being so practical and level-headed he always has when going in a situation he always has three plans because he knows that plan A is going to fail. Got to have a plan B. If plan B doesn't work, got to have a plan C. Uh, he's he's always very very fastidious. He always he always uh, uh, covers all of his bases. And Victor is the opposite of that. He kind of like yeah, it'll work out. You know, my my stuff just pops. You know, it'll be fine. <laughs> and it's the stampede model exactly. And it, it it's it's no end of aggravation to carry on this one. His main weapon is a water sword. Uh, he, he controls water, and he has it uh, attached to the hilt of the sword to create various effects. And I have a clip for you, and I'm going to show that to you right now. And this is a horror log that he's fighting with his cool little water sword. And I want you to pay very, very close attention to the use of slow motion to, uh, to denote fast-moving uh, action. Now, normally, I, I think this is kind of, I, I, don't, I don't want to say cheat, but a little lazy. But be, because this whole anime story is based on the idea of slowing and speeding up time, this is completely appropriate. So, there is no marks for that. In fact, there, there's, there's a mark in its favor because it's using something that's absolutely appropriate to the story. I like it. And that was pretty darn cool. Too. It was cool, right? It was <laughs> pretty cool. And all of the was... flight sequences are cool like that. So it's it's a, it's a good deal. I mean, it's it, uh, for that much, it's entirely fun to watch. Now, uh, we have uh, another character here 
this is Mina Putin. Now, she says she is the wife of Victor, and she was also bitten, bitten by a horlog, and we actually saw her scar, so, so she's not lying. So she also lost time. All right. She cares so deeply for Victor and help him in any way, even betraying her uh, her, her fellow Chrono uh, rulers. Doesn't matter if if uh, if it's if anyone's against Victor, she's against them. That's it. That's her bottom line. All right. So even if she's lying about being uh, uh, Victor's wife and Kiri's mother, she it's it, it doesn't matter. She's still loyal to an absolute fault. Yeah. Her her thing is air manipulation. She, she, and she uses it, uh, she uses kicks. She kicks in the air, slows down time of, of the air that, she, that she's affected with her kick, and then speeds up time around it. So the actual air is, is slowed down by 2,000%, but it moves through the, re- the remaining, it moves through the remaining space between you and the, and the, and the, and the attacked at hyperspeed. So it's a solid air blast at Mach 2. Very effective. You know, and and she's also very effective at creating air walls and air steps and you know stuff like that. She she can basically levitate or or fly at at, at very slow speeds using using this ability, which comes in really handy. And uh, th- this is this is uh, uh, verified by by the organization Kronos. Uh, Mina was Victor's partner throughout throughout all these years. It's but still- she's not. She's not actually Will's mother. Maybe uh, Kira, Kiri. Maybe, oh. maybe not. I'm only. They're only on episode nine. Mm. So that has not. That we're we're in the we're in the we're in the we're in the front half of the first season. So this is this is still up in the air. All right. Mm. But uh, she acts like it, and she's loyal like it. So right now, it's like if it quacks like a duck and it looks like a duck, it's a friggin' <laughs> duck, you know. So the, those those are, there are other there are other characters that are, that are recently in the anime introduced the the other the other Kronos rulers, and uh, I didn't uh, for for time's sake I didn't actually create slides and, and explain them but you know if if you want to they, they're a little stereotypical but they're they're uh, you know they're they're still good I mean it's, it's great so but first I want to get into uh, the head of Kronos all right the the uh, the, the leader of, of the Kronos organization. Ice Ice Raider. Now it, I put Ice Radar because it's that's how it's kind of pronounced. Ice Raider. Uh, she's the leader of Kronos. She is a descendant of Kronos himself, the, uh, the the god of time that stepped on Earth to originally stop all of these horlogs from rampaging in the world, lock them lock them away in another dimension. Now it wasn't a perfect fix. They they do bleed through when when humans' emotional states so crappy, you know they they, they can come back to eat to eat people's time. But uh, her her job is to finally close the door that that her that her uh, that her fore, forefather had started. Now, uh, being a descendant of the god of time gives you perks. One, once you hit full maturity, which is anywhere between sixteen and twenty two, uh, you stop aging, and you no longer you, you don't you don't need a, an oath of time device to affect to speed up or slow down time. You can do it without one on your own, which is hmm. great. Awesome. Now uh, she says she's Mina's, and I put the quotes in there, sister, because Mina is also a descendant of of the god Kronos. Apparently, that guy got around in his day, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, she she has she has also hit hit the age of maturity, 
initially she hit the age of maturity and then the the horror log backstepped her but the the process had already done so she doesn't age anymore mm. all right so she's never going to age back to her 18 she, she's going to stay around 16 <laughs> forever which sucks if you want to get to a bar but eh, yeah other than that it's pretty cool and of course yeah she's doesn't age that's one of her powers that's what she does now we're going to get into the bad guys the mm. main antagonists are the horlocks or the the time demons uh they devour time from his the way they, they, they bite into a human and from that wound the, as long as they're within proximity of the of a person who's wounded by them by their bite they can just drain life from them constantly and even when they're not around that wound number one will never heal properly and number two, small amounts of time will leak out just on its own, just into the air. So you will constantly be getting younger, which is not great. It means, nope. you, it means you have a shelf life now, and it's not, it's not a long one. And like, like I said, they are, they are attracted to and manifest uh, for humans who, who, have such, who feel such great regret or remorse that they wish that time were different, that they could go back or they could change. And uh, then they then they manifest. Now they're uh, they're different sizes and different powers because the more time that an individual time demon consumes, the stronger he gets. Right. So uh, uh, in the, in the first nine episodes, you've seen these regular ones, which have devoured hundreds of years, to animal form ones, which have devoured thousands, and then giant ones like like uh, ten story building tall type ones that have devoured. 10,000 years and more. Hmm. So they're mostly not intelligent. When they take animal shape, they have animal intelligence. And then when, then when they take the bigger shape, they can actually speak. They have human intelligence. Mm. And I have a clip for that uh, for the, the, uh, the regular non-intelligent kind. This one does talk, though. So it's a little, eh, maybe there's a little inconsistency in there in the, in the storytelling. But I'll, I'll forgive it because it only happened the one time. So check it out. This is a woman who uh, who had who who wished for some years off because she had a horrible event happen to her personally, and she just kept regressing over younger and younger and younger, and she she's now around the horror log, and now he can suck time from her directly, and that's what exactly what he's doing. Sucked her down to nothing, just dust. She, she now she now doesn't exist anymore took all of her time from the moment she was conceived. That was mm. it. That's what they do. That's all they do. That's how they eat. You know? Demons gotta eat, right? <laughs> I guess. Well, <laughs> demons can, you know, they can go through moderation, you know, work out, work out stuff, you know, do something as public service, because yeah. take a little bit from a large population, it's a little bit better than taking a lot from a small population. But then that would require thinking. Yeah, the yeah, and the, the young ones don't have a whole lot of that going on, so they just <laughs> no, kind of yeah. eat all their meals yeah. all in one go. <laughs> yum, yum, yum. Yeah. So, what I think about this? Well, I gave this thing four stars because it's just really fun and has very, very few drawbacks. Now, the the, the, the pros of this one, it is it is a little ridiculous. The the, the, the premise is a little ridiculous, and the. The the way they they, they played uh, Kiri the the straight man against against Victor the uh, the uh, ne'er do well is is funny and you you'd think it would get old it doesn't get old it was good and like I said earlier I really like the idea they using slow motion 
to uh, to simulate the high speed. Just just because this whole anime is about, like I said, speeding up and slowing down time. It's great. And the main character, Victor, is endearing. Yeah, like I said, ne'er-do-well. And he, uh, he, he kindly says, ah, it'll, it'll all work out. Don't worry. <coughs> Excuse me. Yes, he does say that, but he is an extremely, he is a genius level intellect. So he, his outward appearance is like, yes, it, it seems like I'm not, paying attention i think it'll all work out but what he's really doing he's he's calculating in, in in the background he's he's completely aware of his surroundings at all times he's aware of all the people around him everything he says and does is to is to elicit a reaction or a lack thereof of any around him and he will note that you know he will read these people and he will record that information in his vast in his vast vault that's just what he does and the character development now a lot of people will will say that that this is this is cheap. It's shoehorning character development in, and mostly I would say yes. But they but the way they do this is effective. Now what they do is when when you meet a new character who's going to be around for a while, he immediately blurts out his backstory, gets it over <laughs> in like two, three, five minutes, and then done. But the cool thing about this is yes, you have a two, three, five minute stop in the action, but then it just jumps right back in, goes right back into the story. Which I like, you know, you don't spend like a half an episode on some guy's backstories, which you can get done in the five minutes, and then go on to the main plot. You know, the the, the writers were on target. They were like, no, this is the plot. Well, we got to introduce that guy. Fine, I'll give, I'll, give you, I'll give you ten frames. Do it. Like, oh, man. <laughs> they did it. But they, they, they did it effectively. Uh, they, they, they gave you enough backstory in those few minutes to care about them, to flesh out their character, to explain their actions, to explain their disposition. It's a win. And it works out. Now, the bad parts. The 80s music. <laughs> now, I'm going to risk a copyright hit because you really, you really got, you just have to, have to hear this. Now, I'm going to, I'm going to turn the volume on, on my, on Victor's clip. And you're going to hear this. It's, it's bananas. Here it comes. Oh, no, I can't hear it. It was 80s nonsense. That's all it was. It was straight up 85 to 88 uh, pop rock. You know, it was it was it was bad, and there are a lot of of Japanese anime that do this. But these things started in like the '90s or early 2000s, and and uh, uh, Japan is a little slow to adopt U.S. trends, but mm-hmm. not that slow. I'm sorry, not not like that. I mean, this... oh yeah, it seems they're going deliberately retro. Although yes. I wish I could comment specifically on that song because yes, G- Garthon says very cool cowboy bebop and yes when did cowboy bebop come out like the nineties yeah nineties and yeah. it was this it was entirely a jazz aesthetic it wasn't something that was basically punk modern right right and uh, yeah so there you go I mean that was that was uh, twenty almost thirty years ago no I'm gonna say about twenty twenty five years ago and. Uh, yeah, there's no there's no reason to, to keep using that style of music. So I'm like, uh, but you know what? I couldn't give a hit because I like it. <laughs> <laughs> I, 
if it's weird, I mean, that, yeah, that's something, too. I liked it. Now, another thing, uh, the whole straight man and, 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 and uh, ne'er, ne'er-do-well shtick that they got going here, it may have been better if they didn't have that. It may have been better, but it also may have been worse. Like, like I said, uh, the, the whole straight man shtick worked. It works in the anime. Now, would the anime be better without it? I don't know. Toss a coin. I don't know. I don't know. I would like to find out because I have a feeling it would be. But again, that's not a real hit. It's just like a what if, you know? And uh, the stereotypes. There are some stereotypes, mostly with the the ancillary characters, that, aka the, the other Kronos rulers. You know, I use fire, so I'm a hothead, and I jump in, you know, stuff like that. You know, they, they use those stereotypes, but those stereotypes are used all the time in Japanese anime. So, you know what? I get that, too. I get that, too. So, all in all, I couldn't hit it a whole lot because it either did stuff that everyone else does or it did stuff really well or it did stuff that was appropriate for for the story. So, there you go. Four out of five. And they're only in episode nine, so it could get better or worse. I don't know. <laughs> uh so you'll uh, you'll have to definitely update us when yes. you get to the end, just in case it jumps the shark at any point. Right, that that would be that would be a sight to see. It really would. <laughs> and my I next mean, so, with such a good start on this one, yeah, it is it is an excellent start. If it falters, if it falters after after the halfway point. That would be horrible. Speaking of horrible, <laughs> <laughs> let's let's head off to uh, to number six. All right, number six. I will say it is it is a very very impressive uh, dystopian future that looks super pretty on the outside. Like it's a it's a horrible horrible dystopian future with a wonderful pretty candy shell. Uh, it, it all it all revolves around Shion, uh, the the white haired boy to the right, who was raised in a, in a in the privileged part of of the of city number six, which is what the anime is made of, because he is brilliant. He's in uh, he gets privileged because he has ability. And uh, so he lives in an excellent house. He has the most excellent uh, of education. And he, he, meets, he meets a boy named Nizumi, or it means rat. And uh, after a shared night together, easy. They just, he just like has a sleepover, okay? Um, they find out that he's a criminal and his life, uh, Shion's life changes dramatically after that. So let, let's, uh, let's go into particulars first. All right, uh, directed by Kenji Nagasaki, written by uh, Seishi uh, Minakami. Uh, music is by Keiichi Suzuki. Uh, Studios Bones. I love that. We, we did a Bones last time, too. Licensed by Siren Visual and Sentai Filmworks. Original network is Fuji TV and, and Kansai TV. Original run was July 7, 2011 to September 15, 2011. Only 11 episodes, and you can watch them again on Hulu. Now, let's get to the main character's main character, uh, Xiang. Now, I, I gave you two different pictures because the very first episode starts off uh, four years in the past. It's, it's a whole episode that is, a, that is a, a backstory flashback, basically. So that's him at 12, and then that's him at 16. There you go. Uh, he when as as a child and even 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 as a, a at 16 you're considered an adult. You have to get a job. You have to pay your own way. You have your own place. You know, it's 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 a different time. Uh, he was he's a caring and friendly guy, man. I mean, uh, the reason he got in trouble is because the, the, there was someone who was in trouble, and uh, he helped them because why not? That's what I that's what I do. I'm a good guy. I help people, and and they, he got burned for it. But uh, even even when his family was quote unquote exiled to to the to the lower caste, 
uh, part of the city, he still stayed kind. You know, he, he, that's, that's just who he is. And another way of who he is was uh, he needed to know how and why things work. He can't just let things go until he understands them. Once he understands them, then he can make what he believes is the most informed decision on what to do next, what, what to do with this thing, what to do with this person, whatever. And uh, he, uh, he infects everyone around him, even though they are there, even though in his older years, he's still, he still, he still has that huge naivete uh, in, in, in anime that that's, that's an actual superpower where you infect all of the disenfranchised people around you and you're now believing in hope. And that's what happens. So I'm going to show you a clip of him as a kid helping out uh, Nizumi. Okay, so here it is. Nezumi was shot and, uh, and is in, in, uh, in uh, Shion's home uh, hiding from the police. And there you go. I mean, he was in such a bad way. It's like, yeah, I'm 12 years old. I don't, I've never really sewn up a, a, a blood vessel before, but I've read about it. I could probably pull it off. He's oh. like, he's like well, fine, do it. <laughs> that was great. My, my area is ecology, and I have some basic knowledge of human anatomy. I would not do that. <laughs> oh. Well, well, Xi'an is a certified genius. I mean, uh, the, <laughs> and, and, and uh, the educational system for certified geniuses is bananas i mean i didn't show that that clip because i thought i'd be busy but uh his he has a friend who's a year or two older than him and uh she, she at the time she was 14 or 15 maybe 15 tops and and she she, she was giving a lecture on uh, on neuroscience mm. so yeah there you go, there you go. <laughs> so that is our that is our our main protagonist and our secondary protagonist is nizumi or the rat now, of course, as you saw in the clip, he meets he meets Xion on the run, and uh, between the age of twelve and sixteen, when when uh, when Xion is uh, exiled, uh, he secretly watches over him. All right, because he's uh, he's no longer in the heavily protected uh, quote fortified unquote area of the city. This is the cops don't care about this place as as much, so he can keep covert surveillance on people. A little better and he secretly does that over the four years on, on, until Sean gets in trouble again now he, he uh, at first when they meet again at 16 uh, he, he tries to toughen him up listen now you're on the run now okay um, the cops are after you you you, you got to lose your electronic ID bracelet that's gone you're no longer you're no longer on the grid you got to get tough because people will take advantage of you they will kill you for whatever you have you got to be ready for this and at first, that's at first, he tries to do that, to try and toughen him up, to try and get him ready for, for, for life in the, in the slums. But like I said, naivete in an anime is a superpower, so he, he, he infects uh, Nezumi with his hopeful attitude, so that, that's out of the window. As a matter of fact, uh, I'm gonna, I got a clip right here of, of uh, Nezumi uh, talking, uh, trying to toughen him up at their first meeting at 12 in Xion's room. Let's check it out. That is not it. This is it. And this is where he says he escaped on route to a facility. It's not true. That's a lie. Don't trust the press. First lesson. If they say it on the news, it's a lie. Okay. And uh, the, the, they introduced the idea that the city 
is not what it seems. Like, all the stuff on the news is a lie. I didn't escape from a correctional city here. I was brought here from another city because they wanted to study me. They were taking me to City Hall to study me for some reason. I didn't like that idea, so I escaped. All right, and, and they, they're not telling my whole story because they don't, they, it's secret, hush, hush, uh, behind the scenes, underbelly type stuff, so they don't, they don't want people to know. So that, that's his first introduction that, 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 uh, that his life is basically a lie. I mean, the city he lives in is a lie. It's, it's, a, it's, it's makeup on the, on the wolf, all right? You know, grandma's dead in the closet. The wolf's going to eat you. You may not recognize it right away because of the lipstick and the bonnet, but sorry, buddy. It's going to happen. Now, that, that other character I was talking about, uh, Safu, uh, she, she's the, the neuroscience lady. Uh, childhood friend of, uh, of Xi'an. As a matter of fact, uh, I believe it's the second episode. She actually asks for his sperm so she can have a child with him because she recognizes his great intelligence, even though he had a setback when he was 12 and he's no longer high, high cast. And he's like, uh, no, man, we're just my friend. We're not doing that. And she's like, uh, all right, whatever. And uh, two days later, she, she left a, as a, at a study abroad to city number five. And that was the favor that, that, uh, that she asked before, before she left. Now, at first, she's in the second episode, and then she's gone. I'm like, oh. she's just gone. I'm like, okay, she's not a main character. She's gone. She comes back at the end of the series and becomes a pivotal plot character. Uh. I don't agree with that at all. It, it, it's, like, it's like she was forced in because uh, she was someone, someone that, that she knew and can care about, so it'll be, it'll be that much more emotionally traumatic at the end, you know, at the end. You know, but it just felt false. Sorry. Did, did, they could at work. least throw it in as a separate arc, Maybe, too. Yeah. Check in a few times. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Kept her in the story, you know, just on the back burner, but still there. Yeah. But no, it's, it's almost like they just, they took her out, put her in the future, boom, put her in the last two episodes. There you go. You're in the first two episodes, you're in the last two episodes. The rest of it, you're just not in. <laughs> Whatever. All right, now, the bad guy. The bad guy is the city. All right, it, uh, I like it. I like my phrase, dystopian utopia. Because it is. It is a futuristic dystopian wasteland, but it looks so pretty. It's so pretty, and it's so nice to walk around. The reason being is because they use uh, uh, police action type stuff to get rid of people who are undesirables. You know, people who think for themselves, who who, who want to know how this sausage is made, and the city doesn't want you to know how the sausage is made because it's made bloody and bad. So you're just dis you disappeared. Or you're up on trumped-up charges and you're taken to the correctional facility where you're then disappeared. You know, that's just how it works. And, of course, it's controlled by a computer because reasons. Of course it is. You know, all horrible dystopian future societies that look really good on the outside are controlled by computers because that's what they do. <laughs> computers love cleanliness. <laughs> and they hate humans. <laughs> That's just, those are the two things they have in common all the time. As a matter of fact, I have a clip of an explanation of how it got this way. Let's check it out. Okay, so they're talking about the Babylon Treaty. The last war, World War III, uh, humanity lost uh, over half of the world to pollution, probably of the nuclear variety. So there's only six great cities left in the world. And number six is one of them. And so they had to reform society to live under these strict conditions. And it doesn't talk about 
cities one through five, how they how they function, it just stays on city six. Hmm. All right. And uh, I have the main antagonist of city six because every, every other person who does bad things is doing it for the city. You know, they're just representation, arms and hands and eyes and ears of the city. So the city is the bad guy. The, the bad guys that actually carry out the city's will are just extension of the, well, the city's will. That's how it works. So what did I rate this? Two stars. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> this was a dud. Uh, the only good things about it is uh, an excellent use of, of alternative gender. Okay, now, uh, Shion and, and Nizumi are gay. All right? But it doesn't beat you in the face with that. They are gay. It's obvious through their actions, but it's not part of the plot. It's part of the story, but it doesn't advance or detriment the plot. And that's great. It's just backstory for them that doesn't have to define everything, every decision they make going forward. I don't care if you're gay, straight, or purple. Someone puts a gun at you, that that idea or definition of yourself is not going to help or hinder you when you think, oh, God, duck. But in, in American cinema and TV, for some reason, they, they, they have their, their, their uh, sexual identity govern all of their simple choices in life. It's the doesn't. I'm hungry. Well, because I'm gay, I'm going to eat here. No, man, I'm, gonna, I'm hungry. I'm going to eat wherever food that I like, wherever yeah. that may be. It doesn't matter. And I really like how they, how they do it here. It's really excellent. And the motives of the main characters are absolutely clear. They're explained well throughout the story you know all of their all of their thought processes so all of their actions uh are not surprises to to you even when you didn't think of them like oh i didn't think he would do that but looking back when he was 12 he did say this and like okay got it they, they stay consistent with the with the character's personality and ideals throughout the entire season and that's an excellent job some 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 people fail at that utterly now Here's where it all falls apart. The story sucked. Sorry, the story was crap. It was poorly executed. It had a moderate promise to it, but execution was just poor. I don't care. Part of me wants to live in this city. Follow the rules? Okay. Because people who follow the rules live a really good life. There's no downside un unless you harbor a fugitive in your house overnight. <laughs> I'd, I'd have turned that zombie in long ago. I'd have turned him in like, oh no, I'm just going to the bathroom and I'd be on my be on my wrist bone going, oh cops, come on, hurry! You know, I would have done that like right away, and then I would have been a hero. I live in that. That's fine. That's great. You know, it wasn't super. The story didn't make it super compelling to buck the system. In my eyes, it didn't. And all of the all of the all of the uh, supporting characters, they're either Xion or not Xion. They. They either think like him or don't think like him. But at the end, guess what? Like I said, naivete is a superpower. They all think like him. Which sucks for storytelling because everyone turns into the same person. It's not good. Now, the ending. The ending, the, the very first uh, nine or ten episodes, the literal lion's share of this thing is all science-based. And then the last episode and a half... You're like, no, no, it's the, it's this magical creature thing that that actually wanted, actually brought about the, the the changes in the city. Sorry, dude, that didn't work out. You did not properly tell that little nugget of story. You just just threw it in at the end. It's like, oh no, it's all magic. Shut up. 
just shut up. So that knocked it down a lot. Uh, I can't recommend watching this. I mean, if you just really want to see the good use of, of, uh, of, uh, of homosexuals in a story, this is it. This is that story. If you're going to want an anime you're going to like, just generally, this is not that story. It's just not. So there's uh, there's Heathen Dogs anime on the stream. Thank you very much for listening. Uh, you can you can see me in my anime and uh, RPG segments, obviously here all the time, and in my team ups with Garthon the Death Seeker, and uh, as as we do uh, Foundry missions in Star Trek Online, and uh, uh, Duncan I know knows all about that. We've we've done one with him with him and with him Jiminy mm -hmm. cricketing us. <laughs> that was fun. Uh, and you can watch my past streams on YouTube and Twitch. Obviously, uh, Star Trek Online. I go through uh, uh, as Buck Fats McCool. From level one to level sixty, all the content up to level up to season thirteen. And uh, StarCraft two, I take the story from beginning to end, and Darkest Dungeon, which I bailed on because <laughs> the, the game freaking cheats. If you want to see me lose my mind, uh, check out Darkest Dungeons um, seven, eight, nine, and eleven on YouTube. Go ahead and check it out. Check it out. It'll be fun. Uh, There's a brief ray of hope, right? Yeah. Yeah. On at ten, there. I was like, "Oh, I'm having a good day. That's great." And I, then eleven, it just all falls apart. Oh god. In the worst possible way. Seeing that one, it was just it, it, like it just watching it important. It was just like, yeah, this is this is going to absolutely fail. Yeah, it was awful. And there was no. It was just a slow slide down. So that's yep. why I said just you know volcano. Second volcano. Yeah, yeah. Totally I, okay. I actually, I actually uh, uh, copied the files on my computer, deleted them from my hard drive, uninstalled the game, <laughs> deleted everything from hard drive, uh, put it, put it on a thumb drive that I don't care about, dug a hole outside, filled it with lighter fluid, and burned it, and then buried it. That's what I did to this game. No <laughs> lie, I did that. That's how much I hate it. Anyway, Why wasn't there a stream for that? <laughs> no, because the camera doesn't walk, go that far away. Uh. But uh, now I'll be streaming Starway Fleet, which came out just a few days ago. And it is a it is a first person uh, spa uh, space fighter battle simulator, which is just fun. That's all it is, but it's fun. It's fun to play. I like it. And uh, this Sunday, un until I until I finish it, I'll also be streaming uh, in After Dark Observer. Uh, that's with Rutger Hauer, and it's a it's a it's a story based uh, uh, first person detective, uh, basically novella. Uh, it's a, that's I, that's really fun. I mean, you could watch it live. On Twitch when when I stream it live, or you can watch it on 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 Patreon if you are a subscriber to Legion of Myth on Patreon. Uh, if you want a new game, you want a different game, you want me to stream something else, leave a comment. I'll do that all day. Don't care. I love <laughs> it. And that brings us to the Neon Spotlight with Duncan mm. Idaho. Duncan, take it away. So tonight I'm going to be reviewing a couple of first-person shooters, really kind of focusing more on the story, touching briefly on the mechanics, mm -hmm. but taking you through a couple of things that came up recently. Uh, uh, both of these games are, came out within the last couple of years, and they kind of fit in a similar place um, within their own franchise and within their own market. And they do ultimately sort of show how to do something and then how not to do something. Excellent. Specifically, continuation of the series, which tries to start off a little fresh, but then it's just like, with at least one of these guys. Oh. So tonight, we will start off with Titanfall 2. This, uh, the developer on this one was Respawn Entertainment. Publisher was Electronic Arts. Producer was uh, Drew McCoy. Writers, Steve Fukuda. Uh, many Hagopan, or Hagopian. Hagopian, yeah. And, yeah, Hagopian. And then Jesse Stern. 
uh, platforms, Xbox One, PlayStation 4, and PC. Release date, October 28th, 2016. So, getting into the backstory on this one, um, Titanfall 2 follows up Titanfall 1, naturally, um, but Titanfall 1 did not have a campaign mode. What it did was that it structured multiplayer engagements around a loose story. Oh, okay. So you had characters, you had events but you saw them from both sides and then the match decided whether or not you uh, your, your your faction got sort of a lighter t uh, sort of a more positive tone coming off of it or a more negative tone but it ultimately went the same way and that was interesting but one of the things it left open was a campaign mode and that's what titanfall 2 really kind of flushed out did that so help got, it or hurt it yeah, and helped it a lot. Oh, good, good. Um, I, this, you know, without spoiling too much, this is the one I liked. <laughs> um, so there's, you can pretty much uh, divvy up the Titanfall 2 universe in three categories. You have the Interstellar Mining Corporation, which spearheaded a lot of the human colonization efforts, but has now sort of turned into more of a military, uh, fascist military organization, because it's trying to hold power. Got it's it. trying to maintain control. The Frontier Militia, group of colonial military forces that's pushing back, they are just trying to, they're trying to stop it because the IMC is getting ridiculous in their harassment of colonies, destruction of colonies, and just trying to put the boot down. Um, and around these guys, you've got mercenaries, such as the faction Apex, which basically they've got no moral center, but the one thing they do for the story is that they include a lot more sort of colorful characters. In Titanfall 2's case, they're all bad guys. Yeah. Um, but they do add a little bit more to this rather than just a corporate versus good guy fight. There's a little bit more depth going on. So the principal technologies in this universe, you've got interstellar colonization, uh, faster than light drives. Sure. And these can be equipped on pretty small ships too. Like even a dropship can do a little sm uh, small little phase jump. So they're pushing out uh, no aliens um, at this point. Aww. So <laughs> it's a little foundation-esque. That's kind of like what it feels like, but, well, it's held onto its robots. So you've got smaller robots, such as pictured. That's Marvin. He's happy. Hi, Marvin. Um, but you've also got combat robots of a couple of different varieties. You've got small little quadrupedal ticks, which will run at you and just explode. Uh, you've got Spectres and Reapers, which are larger combat drones. And then you've got the big guys. You've got the Titans. Mm. Now, the AIs, they're not human intelligence. They are. This is one thing Titanfall does really well, is that there's a computer intelligence, which is different from human intelligence. And the thing about it is that even though we've got these combat-capable military units, they're not still not equivalent to human intelligence. So you still want to put, some, like, it's still advantageous to have a human operator. Right. A Titan is a large robot with a human operator. So, like, a Gundam or Labor from anime. Got it. Uh, which is, this is someone inspired by. So those Titans are controlled by pilots, which are augmented soldiers who have been trained to basically act as a two-man unit with that Titan. So they're going to be, uh, basically, they're stronger together. Okay. So they're not just a independent operator, but they're going to be linked with their Titan doing some things. Okay. So next, we've got a clip just showing the basic relationship here. So this is going to be a uh, small little uh, just gameplay footage just showing what's going on with these guys. Okay. 
Allied team, keep them away from the harvester. They'll rush it and try to detonate. Aw. <laughs> he blowed up. <laughs> he blowed up. Yeah, that's what happens when you accidentally hit the eject button instead of ready up. Ah, okay, <laughs> good to know. So that left that left one little pilot um, having to sort of struggle for a round until he could get another Titan. Um, but yeah, you've got that sort of the duality in Titanfall's gameplay is that you have these fast engagements and these Titan engagements and a mixture of the two. So there's a lot of variation, a lot of ways to approach combat in this one just because they have two complete sandboxes which are interacting with each other. Okay. So from there on, we've got Titanfall 2's campaign story. So we start off with a lot of character development on who you are. You are Jack Cooper. You're a rifleman, so you're not a pilot. You're just miscellaneous cannon fodder. You want Aww. to become a pilot. Yeah, so you're, you're not miscellaneous cannon fodder. I get it. Your survivability <laughs> goes up him. quite a few ticks. But what's really interesting on this one is that they kind of approach this kind of like he's it almost feels like classical military uh, structure because he's hoping to kind of move up to become like a uh, legionnaire or a hoplite where he's just starting on the base and he's looking up to these pilots as role models for, you know, they're just masters of the battlefield and I want to become one. Okay. He's not he, he's not really. Uh, egotistical about it so he's hopeful I mean that's the thing he's just hopeful and he's got a pilot friend and mentor Ty Lastimosa who's kind of training him on the download it's probably not approved but he's just putting Cooper in the simulator just to say hey I know you want to become a pilot so let's help you out along those lines so you start off in the game just in the VR simulator with Ty getting the ropes and just saying hey uh, you know what's what's going on with the basic mechanics here so then you move on to the actual mission that you are, the two of you are being sent out on in addition to a large military force. The militia is about to hit the IMC on a planet called Typhon to help out with a classified operation. You don't know what it's about. You're just told basically, hey, get in your little drop pod and we're going to go make explosions happen. Yay. And yep, that's Jack Cooper and his little uh, space pod. And first, it's not a space toilet for the moment. Yeah. Because it's just about to become one. Yeah, after your first drop, you're going to drop something else. <laughs> yes, because basically the entire thing goes to crap immediately. Oh, your ship is Your ship is destroyed. Your squad is killed. Oh, wow. Lastimosa is taken out by Oops. mercenaries. The militia is completely routed. The mercenaries are just, these are bloodthirsty, really, really, uh, really, really combat frenzied uh, characters. And then the IMC is on patrol. They're looking for survivors and just trying to mop up. Mm. And there's also large wild animals that are also annoyed. Well, yeah, there's a, you just had a giant battle in their food ground, so they're pissed. Yeah, they're pissed. Yeah, they're pissed. So they, you know, you got to fight some of those off at first. Mm. So the only thing is that you survive this. The only thing going for you is Tylastimosis Titan. That is BT. 7274. Lastimosa, his last, his last act, he's dying. You crawl over to him, and he's like, you know what? I'm going to uh, uh, transfer control to you. And he does that, and, you, and he dies right there. Mm -hmm. And his last words are basically, take care of him. And that's it. So you have a little, uh, Jack does what he can for, um, uh, for burial, 
and then he has to start out set out put the pilot helmet on put the jump kit on and he's just got to go try to figure out how to survive and how to make the mission work so bt27 7274 is a vanguard class titan it's the militia's first in-house design because before they were just using stolen imc tech okay. he's got three directives protocol one link to the pilot protocol two uphold the mission and protocol three protect the pilot in that order so first get the pilot you know get a pilot Number two, we got to do our mission. And then number three, if that, if something... <laughs> as, as long as you're going toward the goal of number two, no, number yeah. three has priority. Number Actually, no, no. Number three doesn't have priority. Number two has priority. Well, no, no. As, 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 long, as, number, as long as number two is oh, taken yeah, yeah. care of. Like, you're on the mission. Yeah, you're, so you, long and, as... And you're, you're, you, you and your pilot are proceeding to the goal of upholding the mission. You got to protect the pilot or else yeah. number two won't happen. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So... But at the same time, if number uh, if no, number two requires sacrificing number three, he'll gladly do that. Yeah. So from there on, what Titanfall 2 really kind of takes shape is developing a relationship between Jack Cooper and BT. BT, he's got a – like Vanguard Titans are smart. These guys are very adaptable. That's what they've got over the IMC. Mm-hmm. So BT's got a little heart to him. He's got a little character to him. He's – they do some uh, classic jokes of him not getting certain idioms, certain expressions, but he's picking them up as you go along. So as he, you know, Jack tries to make a joke because he's a little bit of a, uh, uh, I can't say that. Happy-go-lucky guy? <laughs> he's a happy-go-lucky guy. So he, he occasionally makes a little uh, wisecracks, but BT says like, okay, I'm going to process something. I'm going to put that in my data log. So there's growth on both sides. So as Jack's working, uh, becoming a pilot, BT is working at, you know, I'm going to, you know, we're going to make the best combat for us possible. So he's uh, learning how to be with a new pilot. So there, from there, we'll just, we're going to take a quick look at combat to see how BT and Jack fight. Okay. 89 kilograms. Trust me. Throw. You're welcome, pilot. Good luck over there. Richter. Oh, he's so cool. <laughs> yeah, here's Richter. That damn pilot is trying to use the beacon. End this. I'm counting on you. Get- All right, he, he seems like a good guy. Well, yeah, a good robot. Seems like a good robot. <laughs> he's a very good robot. So it, it's one of those things where you've got this... You've got these machines with lots of heavy firepower, but the story isn't the doomsday of the machines. What it is, is really kind of working with them. It's a right. very hopeful and very optimistic side rather than just making it a kind of Terminator style. Plot. Yeah, right, right. So, it's, 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 it's not a Terminator robot. I mean, it yeah, has I mean, other uses as well. I mean, when, when the war is over, you're not just going to destroy these things. You're going to repurpose them. Yeah, and it's just like, you, you know, you and this AI, you're just better together. I mean, mm-hmm. that's kind of the, the message is that you're, you know, you've just formed this really, you're forming this really strong relationship with this Titan. Got it. So he's, you know, he's trying to, you know, you're trying to pursue the mission. You're sort of in sync with that. He's trying to protect you. You're trying to protect him. And that's how it goes. And there's a lot of really great moments to that. So you explore the planet Typhon. Moving on. Um, you uh, discover the evil plot that the IMC has on this. Uh, planet and why they sent here, and what they basically just they found is a very 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 strong power source that also can warp space and time. 
and their plan is to basically use it to smash other planets from established bases. That just sounds real mean. Yep, so that's how they're going to bring the frontier under control. They're just going to start hitting militia strongholds. Just like, you know, we've just got a super weapon, you're just going to submit. Yeah, it's it's the Death Star, basically. Yes, yeah, yeah, and... It's yeah, basically that, and they they pull it off really well. And there's some really cool tricks that they use to sort of lead into this super weapon, seeing its other effects, uh, specifically some of how it distorts time. And the game really integrates with this plot development, with the combat, also a lot of jumping puzzles to really kind of make it a little bit more than just shooting things. You're using your brain to figure some stuff out too. And along the way, you are Jack's really kind of becoming an accepted pilot to the point where when he rejoins the militia. They're just like, you know what, this isn't regular, but we're just going to accept you and, you know, we'll see how you do. And throughout the rest of the mission, you're basically, you know, by the end, you're one of them. Great. So he gets a really strong arc. And where it succeeds is that you got that strong arc. You got that relationship between BT and the pilot. And that just works out really well throughout the whole game. He's a really strong character. And these are, you know, for me, these are some of the most compelling uh, protagonists that I've seen in a first person shooter in a long time. Um, it's very well paced. There's a lot of variation and there's just a lot of great scenes that sort of build up to something. Then you get that sort of satisfaction of that plot point and then you move on to something else. And a lot of what this does, especially when it comes to the movement mechanics, is that the game uses what it has. So there's not a whole lot of extra stuff. There's not like, you know, they bring in something that only is useful for one particular scene and then it goes away. There's a few sort of MacGuffins, but they're very, very well integrated and then they're sort of pushed to the side and you're back to the main thing. So it does structure itself very well. Now, the problems of it is that it doesn't really develop the other characters. So there's occasionally, like, there's occasionally other Alliance people or other militia people mm-hmm. and then the mercenaries. You don't get any backstory on them. So they're just there and they're presented through their immediate moments, but there's no real development of those people. So you don't really get a sense of who else is with you, even though you have a really strong sense of who you are and who BT is. And a lot of what happens through these various other moments really just comes down to a detour. And you do take maybe one too many of them. So it's like, okay, we're going along here, and then, oh, wait, we've got to go take care of a side thing. And then, oh, next thing, oh, we got to go take care of a side thing. So... The, the plot moves, but it might meander a little too much and just sort of like obstructing your path from A to B. Okay. So it, it, it's a good thing that a shooter does, but in this case, might have pushed it a little bit. So then I think we have our last gameplay clip. Okay. It was just the culmination of... Of the shooter. Com- <laughs> yes, the shooter part. Yeah. So this is BT in combat. Okay. So this is, this is, you know, jumping puzzles aside, you know, we're just going to go hit the IMC at this point. Great. swap out right on the fly here. Completely different set of powers. Wow. That was cool. It is visually stunning, I'll give it that. And it, it takes a lot of inspiration from District 9, so the Neil Blomkamp style of sci-fi. So it's very contemporary. So it kind of like looks a little bit like Call of Duty in space, but I, I mean, it, it, it's visually stunning throughout. Mm. So it's got a little bit of the sort of the current view, like the current sort of hyper mechanical sci-fi, 
but there's a lot of very rich texture here, especially on the Titan design. They're all unique. They're all playing around various themes, and they just look fantastic. So overall on this one, I gave Titanfall 2 uh, four stars. So solid environments, uh, well, solid story. It, it was good. It wasn't sort of like thrilling and sort of awe-inspiring, but it was great. I mean, it was just really solid character piece. Uh, really interesting environments, and then great gameplay. I mean, everything really came together on that one. Primary characters, fantastic. And what they ultimately go through, and where this ultimately leaves off, is that there was a little bit of a point about sort of life, the universe, and everything. Because BT doesn't make it. Oh, and... what did you have to go and say that for? Oh, man. oh, yeah, he doesn't make it. But it is just a really powerful scene. And kind of thinking about where he fits in. I mean, there's ways you can go about that because he's not human. They didn't try to like do a soul machine type thing where you never sort of, you know, you're never in a scene where you're arguing with someone that, oh, BT's real person. He is what he is. And the idea is that can have value too. Right. He's the, not human, but he, he's something else. Right. The, the, the writers didn't push the idea that you have to care about BT. It's just that they wrote it so you organically started to care about BT. Yeah, and it's not trying to put him on par with the human. It's like, okay, you're caring for BT as he is, mm -hmm. not who he is projected, not fitting any other role, and that was just great. It drags a little bit through the infantry combat and the detours. Um, so on, especially on a first playthrough, you're sometimes like oh, a little bit just kind of wanting to get on. You're having to go through another infantry route detour. And there wasn't a whole lot of direct world building, but there's a lot in the background. So they never kind of took you through what the IMC has done in any detail, but it's just like, it's a lot of suggestions. So it's very subtle, but it may have, especially with the use of audio logs, it could have gone a little bit further in just sort of setting up history and different cultural elements too. So okay. Titanfall 2, uh, highly recommended. One of the best shooters I've played in a very long time. It's a really kind of standout example of how you continue a series. Excellent. Because, again, th this is the first campaign that they've done on this one. So, great, great. All right. So, moving on. Halo 5 Guardians. <laughs> <laughs> this is the one that was not so good. Not so good, not so good. So, the developer is 343 Industries. Uh, uh, it's a branch of Microsoft Studios. Uh, producer Josh Holmes, writer Brian Reed, platform Xbox One exclusive, release date October 27th, 20, uh, 2015. So, before getting into this one, mm -hmm. I'm just going to hit you with a real quick thing of the Halo universe. Okay. It is dense. It is one of the most approachable things in gaming at right now. Oh my god, look at this slide. Oh god, I mean, it's just all over it's the place. It's just soup. And it's soup. And it's the games, it's the Bungie's writing style and just sort of ad hoc approach to development. And just, there's so many novels out. And they're Wait, you know what? Hang on, hang on. Uh, this is going to be hard to read on tablets. I'm going to make this full screen for a second. <laughs> just so people can, people can maybe apart. read this. Just read, like, stop it. Just read through it. And then that's it. The one thing, the couple of things I'll point out is that there's humans, there's aliens, there's older aliens. There's zombies, but the games basically forgot about them. Um, and then the main characters of this one are the Master Chief, a super soldier called a Spartan, just basically a Power Ranger. Everything about a Power Ranger, basically, that's a Spartan. And then um, you've also got an AI helper uh, associated with a Master Chief called Cortana, who is um, supposedly dead. That was Halo 4. Halo 4, 
Great game. Great campaign. I would put that four and a half star, maybe five star. This one, we'll see. So the Halo universe, humanity gets under attack by the Covenant. We defeat the Covenant. Earth is saved. And now we're just on to other things. More involving the ancient space wizards. So. Space, uh, space wizards. Did you just say space wizards? I said space wizards. Okay. All right. Are. Carry on. They, Carry on. They're Ringworld fans. They built Ringworlds. They're space wizards. That's it. <laughs> they're called the Forerunner. So, moving on from that. What is going on in Halo 5? So, in Halo 5, the Master Chief joins up the group. Nope, stop it. Hey, Titanfall back. Titanfall back, no. Trust me. Get out of here, get What is this nonsense? Stop it. No, I don't know uh, which one is going. Uh, I don't know. We're just going through all of them at this point. Wow. Okay, I'm just going to wait till it stops. It's got to wait till it stops. Apparently, it will, it will not shut off. It, 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 it likes these clips. I don't know what happened. Okay, we're just going to watch myself play up again. That's amazing. So while we're going through this, I can give a little bit more backstory about what's going on with Halo at this there we point. Go. So, All right, we're good now. Master Chief, he was always sold as the last remaining Spartan. He is the only one left. His team was wiped out, and he's the only hope for humanity. Awesome. So at this point, he, he joins up with his old squad, who is not dead thanks to novel sales. Okay, awesome. So, they were brought in the novels, and then apparently they kept going with those, and now the actual games have effectively been made non-canon in favor of the books, which doesn't make any sense. <laughs> <laughs> or Especially for a mainline series like Halo. It's like, all of a sudden, it's like, wait, what I played isn't real anymore. What? <laughs> yeah, you know, every, everyone who loved the, the Star Wars extended universe feel, feels that kind of pain. It's flipped around, it's though. not canon anymore. It's like the extended universe is overriding the movies. <laughs> uh, so anyway, so the Master Chief joins up with his old squad. They go out on a mission, and then the Master Chief falls, hits his head, and receives a dream from Cortana, who sacrificed herself in a really powerful, epic moment that's almost like one of the standouts of FPS sci-fi gaming. It is just fantastic. So she sends him a dream. Mm -hmm. And then he says, like, oh, Cortana is not dead. And then Steam's like, well... We're, we're just going to cautiously believe you right now. And then they eventually contact the UNSC, and then the UNSC, the human forces, basically say, oh, well, we're not going to authorize you to pursue Cortana. So they acknowledge that she's not dead. So despite what you saw in the last game, it's just completely overwritten the fact that, oh, she's apparently not dead, and we're never going to establish exactly how that went about. We're just going to just run with it. Ouch. So the chief team goes AWOL, they're going to go flaunt down Cortana, and then a second Spartan team made up of new guys is going to set up in hot pursuit to try to track down the Master Chief. They're going to bring him in. That's going to work. And also in the background, there are giant AI constructs called Guardians mm -hmm. emerging, emerging from the ground on various planets and then killing people. Just for funsies? Just for funsies. Oh, okay. And, that's great. Yeah, and that's totally not connected to anything. Oh. Totally just separate, and just... no one's really too concerned about that i mean there's a little <laughs> bit of investigation on that one but it's just like instead of like holy crap there's these giant forerunner constructs that are emerging that we can't do anything about it's like we're going to worry about the master chief's team and then him going cortana be yeah finding no, we got we got bigger bigger problems here buddy <laughs> the chain of command comes first <laughs> wow all right uh 
So moving on. So the game basically takes uh, a shape in alternating between these two teams. We've got Fire Team Osiris and Blue Team. Okay. Fire Team Osiris goes after the Master Chief and gets involved with alien politics, which is actually that's that's fun. But <laughs> um, on the side of that, you've got Blue Team. They they're going after Cortana, the AI who's apparently not dead, mm-hmm. and then they're exploring a new alien domain. Ultimately, they get duped, and Fire Team Osiris saves the day. And throughout all this, you've got one running villain called the Warden Eternal. So we can go ahead and move on to that clip. Okay. Let's hope it works. <laughs> Cross your fingers. If not, we just got more dice. Are you the guardian? I am Warden Eternal. I stand in service to Cortana. That sounds like Malcolm McDowell. The other humans are approved for passage. <sighs> Regretfully, you are not. It could like be, but I don't think so. Vacate his shelter now. I can always check IMDb. Alright, there we go. Alright, so the Warden, he's a 400 construct of unknown origin who basically exists as one AI routing through any number of bodies. So he is just, you know, he can send as many of himself as he wants at you. But of course, because of gameplay balance, he never sends more than three. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, it's, it's a Bruce Lee effect. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, so he, you know, he's the bad guy. So he's the servant of Cortana, and he's just trying to hold you back. Hold Blue Team back, hold those Fire Team Osiris back. As Blue Team tries to reconnect with Cortana, who just kind of shows up at a certain point and just says, hey, how's it going? And um, he basically is kind of the vanguard of what's going to be coming up. Okay. So as far as the game goes, so what happens is that you blow up the warden a bunch of times. The Covenant <laughs> oh, yeah. the dealing, bodies. dealing with the uh, official, uh, the, the sort of the dealing with the, uh, the Covenant politics. What they eventually do is just route out the very last stronghold of the Covenant. So they are officially defeated, even though we kind of resolved this in previous games. Right. So they are officially put down. It's like, okay, that was, you know, nice, you know, you know, attacking and, you know, teaming up with some aliens. So that's all right. The two teams eventually come together when they're like, okay, Cortana has become a supervillain. She's got a mad plan. So she's now no longer dead. And because of that, she's escalated from, hey, great, I'm not dead, to I will bring peace through force to all the galaxy. That is her new shtick 100%. She basically gets to that point through one conversation. <laughs> well, she's but, a computer. She gets to the point. But, right. Yeah, but it's not good character development because you're just sort of dealing with the fact that, oh, you're not dead. And then, oh, okay, you're a supervillain now. You've got this great <laughs> plan and we're just kind of going along with it because we're kind of edging like, oh, you're going to be okay. And then, oh, you're totally not okay. So there's just really poor, poor chatting going on there. Um, but don't worry, we've got a completely new and separate AI lady friend who hey. we just completely accept right out of the bat and she just takes up the Cortana role one-to-one and it's just like, why did we need to switch? <laughs> So basically, the Halo, the player in Halo is basically bouncing around between one questionable relationship to another questionable <laughs> relationship. So we are basically Jigoro. Yeah, that's in right. This and uh, if but, any anyone who doesn't understand that, then then you should you should really uh, watch some of our uh, some of our uh, team ups. Uh, yeah. That 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 play the SSF. Yeah, SSF series. SSF Foundry missions. They're they're pretty funny. And then you you will you will look at Jigoro and go, yeah, okay, I get it. 
<laughs> um, so yeah, ultimately, you frustrate. You don't stop or even change in any meaningful way. You just frustrate a very small component of the evil plots, and there's going to be a sequel. And the sun will rise in the morning because this is Halo and we knew Halo 6 was coming because they sold this as a trilogy. You don't need to use this opportunity to sell another sequel. Right. Oh, God. So as you can kind of tell, like the overall how about it is that there's some good parts to it, but some pretty critical bad things. So in general, you get a more in-depth view of the Halo universe. You see some good world building, what's going on with the aliens, what's going on with the colonies. So there's sort of like there's some payoff there. And when you ultimately get down to shooting things on this one, it's very cathartic. So it's something that sort of works pretty well. But at the same time... Uh, you wouldn't need to be cathartic if the story was better. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's basically... The story is something you tune out. Because the gameplay is just... It's better than previous Halos. That's kind of all you can say about that one. It's better than the previous Halos. They started out really strong. But as things have moved on, Halos basically just playing catch-up at this point. Okay. And yeah, so it's basically it's the high point, but that's it's doing it in a vacuum. Mm. And then there are natural movements of levity mixed with the drama. So there are points where it is just funny, and that's in part thanks to Nathan Fillion, a Captain Mal from Firefly. I was gonna He's say the, the guy looks like him in the picture. That's like I was it gonna, is that's, him. that looks like Nathan Fillion. It is him, and All he's right. just doing Captain Mal. So right, that cool. has that has some good moments. And it's like, okay, he's basically got the most humanity in the entire story. And that's all down to Nathan Fillion being yeah, written as Nathan yeah, Fillion. Yeah, it's the actual voice actor, not the, not the yeah. plot or the writing. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, they let him have a few of those moments, but it's like, okay, you know, it, it kind of works. And then you've also got Grunts, one of the alien species, who is just comic relief. And oh, those are just... Halo's Jar Jar? No, 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 no. It's uh, Halo's Pym. Oh, Okay. So I mean something that's actually well integrated. Again, if you don't if you don't get that reference, watch the SSF series. Uh, <laughs> on yeah, on I mean, YouTube, Legion of Myth, sir, search a or, uh, Foundry team up SSF. Actually, no, you'll get I got it. it. I got it. It's Halo's R two D two. Oh, there we go. Okay. Halo's R two D two. So something that's actually well integrated. Because C three PO was more like the comic idiot. A comic idiot, but R two D two had just sort of the, the you you can hear him sighing. Silently. Oh right, okay, gotcha, gotcha. Right. Uh, yeah, he was the straight man, but he was the funnier of the two. Got it. So there are some really sort of nice moments where there's actually just some funny things. But as far as what doesn't work, the characters they were bland, they were flat, except for Nathan Fillion. <laughs> uh, the big but, cheese, you really can't you really can't flatten him out. No, 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 not at all. But everyone else is basically stock military, stock duty. They've got no other motivations except we've got to follow out our orders or I've got to not follow out my orders. And there's no development. Even the Master Chief. I mean, even the Cortana, who's basically been his lady friend and only friend in the entire Halo universe. Oh, she's evil now, and he yep. doesn't react. He he kind of he kind of gets a little bit in tone. There's some back and forth between them, but it's definitely not what you want it to be. Mm -hmm. It's just, especially compared to the last game, where there's so much development, so much great stuff. It's just this one. It's just, it, it, it feels really weak in that department. There's just, it try, it, it sort of like remembers that it had some really nice moments, and then just the writers on this one couldn't pull that off. Got it. The story completely out of lock field. It has no connection to what Halo Four was about. Halo Four was setting up something completely different, and then basically there was a creative decision to do something else. And now Halo 5 is basically completely overriding that. 
So there's wasted moments from the characters not doing something that's connected to previous games or even just fulfilling the role in this game because they're so dead set on making this now sort of an AI revolution plot that is just like, yeah, it really doesn't, it doesn't work. And the character arcs are completely disrupted now. None mm. of them work. And it's just like, it, it feels very arbitrary. Very arbitrary. No one's reacting. Everyone's very wooden in this one. Okay. And <laughs> that's my Halo 5 face. <laughs> it's, it's very, it's very disturbing and uh, lackluster. It's like, I'm not yeah. impressed. It's just like, guys, what are you doing? What are you doing? <laughs> so I guess we can go through one clip because I think we may have skipped this one. Yeah, we, we uh, have one more. Yeah, so just this last clip just showing a little bit of what's going on and a visual representation of kind of how this game works. Okay. Of what you really play it for. Okay. Off to bring peace. The monitor called it a threat of death. Like the threat I lived under from the moment of my birth? You were built, not born. Our eyes are just machines, aren't Momentary. we? Mass-produced, disposable. Yep. Well, That's great. Humanity may not have and and people fall into the death off the cliff. But we will yep. care for Spawn you. Points you expect other AIs to join you. So those are human players who are screaming. Not just we're all me, just like, what is going on? We are having a great time right now. It's because <laughs> we're not listening to the plot. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> so well, yeah. what's, what's the end of this thing? The end of this thing, uh, it's three stars. If it was just Why? Story, if it was just story, it'd be two stars or one star. But it's because of the gameplay. Because it it's a, it's a first-person shooter first and foremost, and at that, it does yeah, well. If this is a foundry mission, it would be completely flipped around. But it's because it succeeds very well at being a shooter. It's got a lot of dynamic elements. It's got a lot of really interesting things, especially for Halo at this point. It's very fun and getting four people into this. It's great. This is best as a shared experience because you can just mystery science theater your way through it. And in that way, I, you know, I put a lot of time into this one with the with that in mind of, you know, we're just going to play through this. Right. We don't care, but we're just going to start screwing around on this one. And that's resulted in some pretty great stuff. Um, so it's very fun, but it's not a really good example of what sci fi gaming can be because it's got the setting and it's got the gameplay. The story is completely separate, though. That's mm -hmm. something you're pushing away. So it's not an integrated package. It's got all the elements that are broad sense, but they don't support each other. There's no coherent storytelling on this one. It doesn't make any sense. And it feels like it's doing that because it's trying to reverse difficult decisions, difficult creative decisions the last games made that put Hill in a really interesting spot, but they were different. I mean, it was like, okay, things are going to be different now. So now things are going to go back a little bit. We're going to get familiar characters back. We're going to start doing some things that are really just sort of hitting points in this Halo universe that you can kind of expect really diehard fans to really go for. But as far as general sci-fi storytelling, they don't work. I mean, bringing Cortana back and making her a villain, I mean, you can think of that as like, oh, cool, if you've been playing through the series through the whole time. But it doesn't work. Mm. And we're, we're spending so much effort on something that just doesn't work. So it's got a broad view. It's got a lot of world building, but it doesn't have weak punch. It just has weaker punches. Okay. The emotional. Well, just, hang on, just just, to, just as an aside, uh, what do you think Halo Six is going to do to try and rectify this, or do you believe they're just going to go a secret empire and just go all in no matter what? They're going to go all in, <sighs> but here's kind of the weird thing: is that with the setup to Halo Six is more promising because it's just we've got the difficult crap story points out of the side. Everything is now set up. So Halo 5 can basically take the hit 
in Halo 6, if it follows on consistently and improves its storytelling and improves its characters and has some really good emotional moments, it could still come out of this really well. Yeah, it, but it's it getting will be from... the the spiritual successor to four. Yeah, but yeah, because five is going to go in the dumper as a sacrificial lamb, basically. Yeah, it's sacrificial lamb to change the plot of Halo Four to change to retcon it, so it can be about something else. I mean, it could still be good, and I mean, of course, if they elevate the gameplay, I mean, that might be enough uh, if they push it further. But we'll see how this one goes. So this might be 2018 that they're going to pull this one out. Yeah. Okay, well, thank you very much, Duncan Hideo. We, we appreciate you being on and help helping me out uh, while while Garthon's in Sunning in Argentina. <laughs> yes. And uh, uh, you, you can see, uh, you can hear more of Duncan Idaho, not see him, because they don't use cameras over there, at the <laughs> at the Foundry Roundtable, which you can find on YouTube and Twitch. Uh, what, 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 what days do they go on Twitch? Uh, what days? Well, when we're on Twitch, it's basically right after we're done the show, which is typically on Saturday night. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're done the show. You can basically pick up the old shows there. We put them out on YouTube a few days later, usually by Wednesday. Okay, gotcha. Excellent. But because, yeah, but just because it's Grinji Grin, sometimes they take a little bit more time. <laughs> he's a he's a perfectionist when it comes to the when it comes to the intros and outros and stuff. I get it. Yeah, he's got a lot going on. Yeah, but uh, again, thank you very much. It was those were those were excellent reviews, and uh, we hope to have you back sometime. Yeah. All right. Now we're gonna go into Garthon's Electric Life, where he tells you about a game he played a long time ago. Played again. And to see if it still holds up. And today's game is Zelda 2, The Adventure of Link for the Nintendo Entertainment System in all its 8-bit glory. So without further ado, let's switch to Garthon right now. Everyone, this is Garthon coming at you with a new segment, Garthon's Electric Life. G-E-L, baby. Jellin, like a felon, I suppose. Not here this week, so I'm giving you this little feature. And this today, I want to talk about a classic video game. One that might be a little overlooked. A bad little elf in green clothes and a funny hat who goes collecting pieces of the Triforce to save the world. Yes, we all know and love it. No, no, it's not, it's not what you're thinking. It's not, not The Legend of Zelda. Come on, everyone, that's, that's easy. That's not left over. That's not lesser known. Come on. Let's talk about... Zelda 2, The Adventure of Link. Ah, yes, my friends. Not quite as loved as the original Legend of Zelda. Zelda 2, The Adventure of Link. You're still rescuing Zelda. She's not captured this time. Now, it's uh, been years since the... uh, Actually, it's the only Zelda game that's a direct follow-up. Others are different worlds. The soul of the hero. This one actually takes place in the same world as the original game, several years after the original series. Link is now 16 years old, and he notices a strange mark in the back of his hand, exactly like the Crest of Hyrule. He seeks out Impa, who is a uh, magical dude, who responds by taking Link to the North Castle, where a door has magically been sealed for generations. He places the back of Link's hand on the door and opens, revealing a sleeping maiden. Impa tells Link that the maiden is Zelda, uh, not, not the Zelda from the first game, this is just another chick named Zelda. Uh, the Princess of Hyrule from long ago. Yeah, I know that's confusing. Um, <laughs> why are there two Zeldas? It's another Zelda princess. I guess royal families like using the same names over and over again. Um, uh, but this princess is actually the origin of the term Legend of Zelda, apparently they say. 
So, Zelda's brother had tried to force her into telling their recently deceased father's secrets concerning the last three Golden Triangle treasures of his kingdom, known as the Triforce. So, Zelda of course refused to reveal its location, and the prince's wizard buddy, in anger, tried to strike her down with a spell. Uh, she found her powerful sleeping spell, so I guess it did work on her. Uh, but the wizard was unable to control the wily arcane magic and was killed by it. The prince, filled with remorse, unable to reverse the spell, had his sister placed in the castle tower, in the hope should one day be awakened. And the prince then decreed that the princess born to the royal family thereafter would always be named Zelda and remembers that tragedy. Then Impa says that the mark in Link's hand means he is the chosen hero to rescue these original Zelda. She gives Link a chest containing six crystals and ancient writings that, can, that say only a great future king of Hyrule can read. Link finds he can read it, so I guess he's a great future king of Hyrule, which never actually happens in the game. Just saying. Kind of a letdown. Uh, even though he's never seen the language, it contains... In any case, the crystals must be set into six statues, which will open the Great Palace, which contains the Triforce of Courage. Uh, the only... The power of the Triforces can awaken Zelda. So he takes the crystals and sets out to restore them into the idle heads in the palaces. Meanwhile, the followers of Ganon are seeking to kill Link, because they're so pretty pissed at him. Uh, and they're going to sprinkle his blood on Ganon's ashes to bring Ganon back from the dead. Now, uh, I'll tell you what. That's kind of a rough storyline for a kid to follow. You got Zeldas who aren't Zeldas. You got a dead Ganon whose ashes need your blood. That's a little rough. But you know what? As a kid reading through that in manual, I thought it was freaking awesome. And so I was ready, my friends, to save all the Zeldas, because apparently there's a lot of them. And then I actually got to the game, and, uh, it did not look like I expected it to look. Uh, everyone knows how Zelda looks. It's a top-down, kind of isometric, uh, game. You run around with your little elf boy. You slice up Octoroks and Dark Nuts and Whizros and whatnot. And eventually, you use your bombs to uncover hidden doors. You got a torch, you got a lantern. And you kill Ganon. Get back the Triforce, everyone's happy. Well, in this game, they changed from that top-down perspective into a side-scroller. Ah, uh, it was quite the change, and very controversial. The outdoor maps are different than the indoor maps. In the overworld, it looks a little like the original game. Uh, you don't fight out there, it's, everything's kind of iconic, it's just icons of your guy walking around the map. Um, villain, or enemy icons appear, and if you run into them, random combat happens. Uh, these can be insanely easy to incredibly frustrating, depending what happens. As long as you, if you stay on the roads, if you get hit by a random combat, it actually doesn't happen. Which I thought was a nice touch, because the roads are supposed to be safe. That's why they're there. But when you're in a dungeon, or in one of the combat scenes, it goes from the overworld view of the overworld to the side-scrolling part. Um, it actually looks pretty good for a side-scroller of the era. And what was that era, my friend? 1987. The game was released January 14th, 1987 on the Famicom Disk System, the Famicom, and the NES. Later, it was released on the GameCube and the Game Boy Advanced. As reissues, of course. The Game Boy reissues are actually pretty good. So I was going to say, the GameCube one's excellent. And currently, you can actually download it from the Nintendo eShop if you're so inclined. But we'll talk about that. 
But this game, the plot is very different than the first one. It looks nothing like the first one. You're saving another Zelda who isn't Zelda, so that causes a lot of problems to fanboys. Like, why am I doing this? Am I even the same Link? Well, yeah, you are. What's funny is in later games, you're not. But at least it keeps more to how the original games played. So when you're in the side-scrolling parts, uh, you run around, you slice at enemies, you jump over them, you avoid obstacles. But the problem is, your sword is about half an inch long. You cannot attack anything further than your fist. It's really pretty sad, and it makes combat way more difficult than it needs to be. If you look at the original game, your sword is as long as you were. And this game, it is not. It's very, it makes, makes combat difficult. Uh, there's some uh, very tricky enemies where you have to be very precise in your strikes, or a lot of times just stabbing randomly, hoping they don't put their shield in the way that time, because you need to stab them in a tiny, tiny little pixel space where their visor is. Those would be the dark nuts, and they become the bane of your existence. Much like previous games, you go around collecting items, and use those items to get through the dungeons. You collect keys, uh, you collect bombs, you collect a torch, you collect a few other items. Uh, those help you get through the dungeons that you need to do. And also to you get the raft in order to cross to the, to the island area you need to get to. So that's pretty standard. But the combat, because of the side-scrolling nature, is very different. You really got to be able to use your shield, be able to get in the way of enemy attacks. You really need to be aware of your surroundings and where you are at all times. And the maps for these dungeons just start getting really complex. A lot more than a little kid, I think, could really deal with easily. Uh, I remember as a kid being really frustrated going through some of these dungeons and playing through them over and over and over again until I memorized the damn things. But then again, maybe that was kind of the point, I suppose. Because this game does have some positive points to it. It is fun. Uh, the control is tight and it moves well. It has an interesting experience point system where, as you gain experience points, you can unlock... Uh, a new level of strength so you do more damage, unlock a new level of magic so you have more magic points and can learn new spells, or unlock more health. Um, each one of these actually comes on its own amount of XP, so if you gain, let's say, 100 XP, you can perhaps unlock health. Well, you know, then your next level of health is going to cost more, and maybe the next thing you could level up would be magic, or... Strength. Whatever is cheapest is usually what you can, but you can always hold on to your experience points, and instead of like getting paying 80 points for health and then 90 points for magic, you hold on and spend the 150 for another level of strength. This will be great to your damage, but over time it becomes really inefficient to do that, so pretty much you just level whatever's cheapest. But another problem with the experience point system becomes as you build XP, if you ever die, you lose all of your experience points. So if you need 120 XP to level something, and you have 119 and you die, you're back at zero. You've got to regrind all that, and XP does not come fast in this game. But, and it can, it can be a little frustrating, but if you're down for a little grinding, there are ways to kind of, you know, kill some enemies who are worth a good amount of XP, but they just take a million hits. Talk about the bubbles who pop around the palaces. You can just stab, 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 stab one of those forever, and it kicks a guy a good amount of XP at low levels. Uh, that's kind of what I did to grind up. 
But because you can grind up XP and become stronger, it actually is a way to kind of work around enemies that maybe you're not that skilled at. Where you could actually, if you've got the gumption for it, you could keep grinding away and get strong enough where you could just muscle through. Uh, there are also some, also as I said, you get magic levels. This is the game where actually Link actually learns spells. In other games, he uses magic through the ocarina or a mask or other things. This is the only game I could think of where he actually casts spells, which is interesting. But then again, in other games, it's not the same Link. In other Zelda games, you're always playing a new incarnation of the hero. This is the only direct sequel that I could think of. You are the same character that you were in The Legend of Zelda. And so because of that, you actually learn a bit more. But it is frustrating if you're the same hero from Legend of Zelda. How come I suck so bad in the beginning and everyone's beating me up? Where'd my legendary sword go? Where'd my legendary armor go? Ah! Anyway. But that's pretty typical for sequels, you know. Uh, but as you go through the side-scroller, you got no range on your weapon. It makes combat very difficult. But the, at least the controls are tight. The magic system is fun. The experience system is actually pretty good once you get used to it. It does take some getting used to. The overall graphics look wonky, but the it, but the fighting graphics actually look pretty good for their time. And everything moves really nicely. It actually has some pretty interesting bosses in all the dungeons, uh, with some pretty interesting mechanics. But the dungeons do get very confusing as you go through them. So it really helps to have a map or a guide of where the heck you're supposed to go in these places, because they can get really wonky. Uh, also, the plot of putting crystals in statues' heads at the end of these dungeons just so you can go and unlock a place so you can get a Triforce is kind of lame. But you know what? It does work for what they're trying to do. But I do remember going through this game and playing through it a lot. Because back in 1987 when it came out, I as a young lad received it as a gift. And I was incredibly happy and I played the living heck out of this game. Because I loved the first Zelda game. And at first I was pretty annoyed, because this was not what I was expecting, as I said. But as it went on, I came to love this game. It's difficult, but rewarding. Uh, it has an RPG feel to it that the first game did not have at all, and I am fond of my RPGs, as you know. And so that really works for this game. This is the most RPG-ish of the games, in that you have your levels, you have your skills, you have your magic. And a lot of that they haven't returned to another Zelda game just because it was too much of a departure. But I eventually played through this game so much I was able to memorize the maps, to get through it, learn the enemy's weaknesses, learn to exploit them, learn which spells to use and when. Not necessarily like, oh, there's a big thing, I better use jump. But you have to conserve your magic points because you never know when you're going to use them uh, to cast a heal spell or if it's more efficient to cast an armor spell. Because you know you're about to fight one of those dark nuts and he's going to be slashing you up. So is it better to heal or to use armor to try and prevent that damage in the first place? And those are decisions you have to learn how to make for that Occam's Razor of which is the simplest, which is the best solution. And so it's nice that the game actually forces you to make these kind of decisions. Which makes it a little more difficult, but also more rewarding when you finally get to the end. At the end, after you put in place the last crystal... You fight the crazy-looking bird statue weirdo thing. Then you go and you counter the wizard who's guarding the Triforce, and he doesn't like you. And you actually don't slice up the lizard. This is actually really, really cool the first time I encountered it. 
You find in the last boss room, the wizard's up on his pedestal and he waves his arms at you and your shadow jumps out from you. And at that point, it's game on as you have to fight your own shadow. Which is something that actually comes back in other games in the future where you have to fight your evil shadow. And the first time that happened, I about jumped out of my chair. It was freaking incredible. And my shadow killed me. And that sucked. And I had to go back and do it again. But! And when you die... But it was an incredible thing to see. And it still is a great moment every time I encounter that again on my replays. Another fun thing is that when you die, the game laughs at you. And you see a shadow of Ganon. And you hear the... And Ganon has returned to the world. So not only are you dead, everyone else is boned too. Good job, hero. The ending is rewarding. Um, the first time I saw the ending, and you actually see like these almost 3D Triforces, because I was my socks were knocked off because I didn't think a Nintendo game could do that. So, fun game, very different than the other Zelda series, and it's one that doesn't get a lot of love even for the retro gaming community just because of how different it is. But I highly recommend if you have any kind of interest in the Legend of Zelda series or old classic games that you just wonder about that you think might not get enough love, want to see what Garthon's talking about, then take a look at Zelda 2, The Adventure of Link. It is available in multiple places on multiple platforms. I think it's even available for download from the Nintendo eShop, if you are so inclined. I've heard there's also other ways using the dark, evil recesses of the internet that might be downloadable, but I would never do such a thing and do not recommend it. But I heard it's possible through emulation. Oh, dirty, dirty emulation. But thank you, everyone, for paying attention to this. Uh, I just want to let everyone know about these old games that maybe don't get the love they do. So remember, kids, keep it simple. Keep it jelly. I don't think I'm going to keep that catchphrase, but there it is. Have a good night, everyone. All right, thank you very much, Garthon, for that. Uh, <laughs> we were actually stuck when we were watching it. Uh, those those little uh, uh, white circle happy face I, I, I dubbed murder balls. Uh, they're so ridiculously difficult to kill. Yeah. That why don't you stun them and just run away? And and I, I postulated that no, they're too fast. Maybe the stun wears off. We don't know because the person of uh, Vala seventy seven who was playing the game didn't let them didn't suffer them to live. So. We don't know which one's right and which one's not. Uh, so there is that. But uh, yeah. thank you very much, Garthon. We appreciate it. And we'll be happy to uh, to see you when you come back next Saturday. And if you want more Garthon, well, there you go. Here it is. Uh, we got Garthon's comic poll every week starting, of course, next week. And, uh, of course, our, our Legion of Myth team-ups at the, at the the Star Trek Online Foundry missions. Uh, uh, all that he's been gone these last two weeks, we, we knew it was coming. The N NSA was sniffing, so uh, we, we put a whole bunch in, in the can to uh, to make up for his absence. So there we go. And we're going to we're gonna have uh, brand new recorded content starting on Monday, which is going to be great. Uh, he does stream Final Fantasy XIV Sundays at uh, 9 p.m. Central, 10 p.m. Eastern. Uh, he may not tomorrow. He may not. If he does not, I will stream Observer. So bear in mind with, with uh, that's coming. I'm, I'm going to stream Observer until the end. So if it's not Sunday, it may be Monday night or Tuesday night. I don't know. But it's going to happen. Are there, are there cat girls and bears in Observer? There are not. It is a gritty It is a gritty dystopian future that doesn't have the beautiful candy show. Aww. Yeah.
But we have yeah. come to our RNG, our random number generator. So anything that, that's that's in your head, just roll it on the table. We'll see we'll see if it comes up 20. Now, uh, Duncan, do you have anything uh, that happened this week that uh, you want to talk about? Uh, various degrees of realizing that I don't care about modern TV. I, that's all I got, really. I mean, I was just thinking about this before I was coming on the show. I honestly don't have something to talk about for RNG because there really hasn't been that much going on, and that might be in itself something to talk about for RNG. I am just haven't been excited by that much coming out of gaming, um, anime, movies, movies especially. Mm. Just uh, nothing's really floating my boat. And it's well like, now. Now wait. To to be fair, uh, most most TV series are still on hiatus. So yeah, I'm just thinking about like in the last five years. Oh, okay. Then. Well, I got nothing about that. Yeah, I mean, people were you know people were really upset this week about Sci-Fi Channel canceling Dark Matter after its third season. Yes. And I've taken a look at that show, but like I got rid into Farscape. Oh so yeah. That so kinda, that kind of yeah. So for me, I like a lot more texture, a lot more sort of life and like life and kind of fun, or just sort of interesting character designs, interesting world building. And I like getting into you know stuff like that from like Dune, Larry Niven. That sort of that really that I like mm-hmm. of being able to get dig into details. Star Trek did that. Discovery is some. It's kind of my last hope at this point. Star Wars used to do that, especially in the prequels, which. I don't think they those really get enough credit for. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's just what we've gotten now, at least as far as I went into it. Um, I I tried to get into the expanse. I really really tried on that one. But they just sort of that was touted as 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 a critically acclaimed type deal. I couldn't tell what like here like by the fourth episode, I still couldn't like if you just showed a sh- screenshot of that out of context. I would not be able to place that. Like, it would be Blade Runner. Or, I mean, actually, no, Blade Runner is very unique. Yeah. It just feel, it just feels generic, where it doesn't feel like people are really exploring the visual side. And if the visual side, especially, and the narrative side of what can be done with sci-fi, it doesn't feel like there's a lot of imagination going on right now. It's playing around established tropes. It's kind of like you've got people who may have written for sort of more established, like, police drama, sort of very well-established, very conventional shows, we're now working in sci-fi because now sci-fi is conventional Fair. and it feels like we're just working off of those conventions we're not really exploring new ground and of course working in the foundry i'm <laughs> and always thinking about these and also thinking about branching out an original sci-fi of my own and just going back to the classic authors from the um who were really kind of working the 70s and the 80s they did some really great stuff and really kind of pushed on the imagination side of it especially dune i mean the story gets ridiculous, yeah. but it does use a lot of imagination. And that's it does. It does use a lot. The story does definitely is after the first book. I mean, uh, it's, oh, yeah. it's, it's debatable how many books in you have to get bef- before you give up and say this is this is freaking clown show. But uh, I think you can get to heretics mm. and reach that point. But you kind of have to skip the sequels and go basically Dune, God Emperor, Heretics. That's your series. Okay, yeah, uh, after after the first book, my, my wife put up the red flag note. Nope, nope, flag in the play. This is now yeah. clown show territory. Yeah. <laughs> Although I will say is that a great introduction to Dune is the Sci-Fi Channel yes. miniseries oh. production of that. Yes, I I've, loved that. Uh, wait, 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 wait. I've got not only... Uh, I have it on DVD as well. 
I'm gonna hold these up. Hold there these you go, up. boom. This is what I want sci-fi to make. Yes. Someone has been talking about doing a Dune reboot, or a Dune movie. That's and not necessary. HBO, HBO was, no, this is necessary, this was necessary. HBO was talking about doing Foundation from Isaac Asimov. That, oh my God, oh my God, if they do that, that has potential of being good. Because it's sort of a, it's sort of a good leaping off ground because it has conventional elements because mm -hmm. Star Wars has made them conventional. Because the mechanical elements of the Star Wars universe are just one-to-one -one from Foundation. Blasters, hyperspace, I mean, a little bit of the androids, but what Star Wars added was a lot of the fun of the alien texture of that right. one. And sort of simplified the politics down to Imperial and then Rebels. Although, to George Lucas's credit, he tried to rectify that in the prequels. He tried to actually make it more serviceable compared to the source material. And that's where people kind of got lost because he was now trying to do something else. Yeah, yeah, that was, that was, a, that was a mistake. Simple was working. Uh, <laughs> add, adding, adding complexity to a machine that works just invites failure. Yeah, I mean, it just, it, there's more things that can go wrong at that point, especially yeah. for something that people Jar -Jar. identified with. Jar Jar, I mean, talking about politics, I mean, explaining how the Force works. I mean, it's admirable. Yeah, you didn't need that. Sort of... None of that was necessary to tell the story you wanted to tell. You only added it because you thought you should add it, and that's never a good reason to do anything. Yeah, so it's just trying to, he was just trying to make it stand out. Like, to me, it felt like he was trying to make it stand out more to, to Foundation, specifically. So making Foundation itself, just starting off the bat, because it has all the great elements for an HBO series. You can basically make a Game of Thrones, mm -hmm. but in space, and also with a little bit more levity and a little bit more, a little bit more imagination, and uh, a little bit more of completeness. Yes. Yeah, you don't have to wait <laughs> for for the writer to catch up. Yeah, I mean they're all out there. Yeah. And there are some really good ones, and some really uh, there's some interesting character stories and. Interesting problems in interesting settings. I mean, you can basically make, you know, anything from, oh, a really kind of gritty political drama to um, kind of more of an adventure series, including a psychic clown, to basically the adventures of Han Solo um, through the traitors. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, that has a lot of potential. I really hope that keeps going as a project. I haven't heard about that in a while, but I heard about the HBO Foundation. It's like, oh, there's hope, but... I guess for everything else, it's like fantasy sci-fi is really developing really strong conventions, and I don't think we're at a point now where people are exploring those. Okay. I, 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 I hear where you're coming from, and I, for the most part, I agree with you. Uh, the Where I don't is the... Uh, is the DC TV universe. Oh. I, I think they've done really well. Uh, Flash is hit and miss to me. Arrow, the very the, the first like three or four seasons, freaking solid, and uh, Supergirl, uh, it's good. I mean, uh, the, you you really, it has a different tone than Arrow, obviously, because Arrow's very dark and and like broody and stuff like that. Uh, not so much navel gazing that Garthon hates so much, but but uh, <laughs> but broody to to be sure. Uh, Supergirl is more light. Not as light as Flash, but I think it, uh, it it strikes a balance between the two pretty well. So so it's it's an excellent series in its own. Uh, I should have. I was just going to say I should have been paying attention to those because I watched Whose Lines It Anyway on the CW. Mm -hmm. So I'm seeing ads for those all the time. Oh, you haven't even watched like, them? Oh my god! Well, oh my god! Okay. Go to so go to Netflix. Go. Netflix is your friend on this one. 
They have they have uh, they have all all the seasons for you. And uh, the what what uh, what the what the DC TV universe does really well is crossovers. They cross over all three, sh- all four shows with each other. Uh, Le- Legends of Tomorrow, I didn't mention initially because I'm not a huge, f- I'm not a fan, really. I mean, it's serviceable, but I don't, I don't like it nearly as much as the other three. But uh, they, they do crossovers be- between all the shows really well. That's really cool. Yeah, and yeah, and, like and Supergirl is in a different dimension. Mm. They still cross over, and they're they're like it's not like seamlessly story wise. Like okay, I I completely accept that. You're like all right. They they want to do a crossover. They they did a pretty good explanation of how it could happen. So all right. Yeah, just gotta uh, run with it. At that yeah, point. just run with but, it. I mean, they they did their due due diligence on this one, so I'll I'll give it to them. But uh, that, they, they love doing the crossovers, and it works really well, especially now that. Uh, that uh, Supergirl was on one, uh, one of the three big networks, and now it's on the the CW because it was canceled. Yeah, CBS, I think it was. I'm not sure, but uh, uh, and and now it's on the CW with all the other shows, so yeah. it's less of a hassle. You can do more crossover stuff. You, you can do more uh, storyline bleed over type things, and and it's completely cool now. So yeah, you know I mean, they do with, it has uh, a good feature going for it. CW, what they do with the shows, and this is where I probably will start to go a little bit more, oh, when I get into these, mm-hmm. is that they also, because they have the actors on hand, they bring them onto whose lines. <laughs> <laughs> they do those crossovers, so, I mean, maybe they bring Colin and Ryan into one of the shows, so. <laughs> nice. Uh, so, anyway, no, that's actually probably a really good sort of counterpoint to what's going on with the sci-fi and fantasy, because comics have started subverting their genre. I mean, that's kind of how the Marvel movies got started. Mm-hmm. We're trying to do something that was more interesting than just the, sort of the classic retread, uh, the basics. I mean, they kind of went a little bit more into in-depth character studies. Right. And for me, Iron Man was kind of one that uh, stuck out on that one. Well, yeah, so, it was it was the flagship. I mean, Iron Man yeah. was the, well, I would say, toe in the water for, for, uh, for Marvel, but they just went, screw it, I'm going all in. And they, they, just, they just jumped in, and it worked out, luckily, because yeah. if it didn't, there wouldn't be another Marvel movie ever. And it, it it basically feels like sci-fi, need, there needs to be a, you know, a straight sci-fi that just does that. Yes. And the only reason Iron Man succeeded, as well as it did to, to, to generate the Marvel Extended Universe, to generate all of these other movies, is Robert Downey Jr. No oh, one can God. take that away from him. I don't care. Oh, he's yeah. a drug user. He, he was, oh, he did all this. He did all that. Yeah. He single-handedly create. I don't, no, stop. Oh, there yeah. were there was writers. There, there there were storytellers behind that. Shut up. You see Robert Downey betrayal. Jr. single-handedly created several movie franchises. Yes, he is paid dozens and dozens of obscene amount of millions of dollars per movie now. But you know what? He created jobs for mm-hmm. literally thousands of people. Yeah, and he's just you watch it like he is my favorite character in the Marvel Universe just because it's Robert Downey Jr. He just, when he, everything he does has human depth to it. Yes. Yeah, Midnight, the movie Midnight. Oh, I haven't seen that one. Oh, you have to see that one. Uh, and Less Than Zero, I think you, I think that was, I think that was what it's called. Uh, this, this, this was in his period when, uh, when he was still, still in the drugs and, uh, mm-hmm. and it's completely noticeable, but he uses that in the performance. It was excellent. Chaplin, oh my God. It was amazing. I mean, pe- I, people hated Tropic Thunder be- because he did blackface. 
Oh yeah. Yeah, but he freaking owned it. He owned it. All right, he I, I owned it, and one. he's on a, and 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 he. Yeah. I have not seen him be apologetic to it, because you know what? That 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 was what the story called for. I'm a friggin' actor. I did it. It's yeah. my job. He, yeah, I. That was a movie that I. It's basically probably the last. Yeah, of the ones you've mentioned, that was the one I've seen. Oh, okay. and Robert Downey. No, no. Yeah, you haven't seen Chaplin. What's wrong with you, man? <sighs> Again, I lost faith faith in movies. <laughs> just soul crushing <sighs> but anyway though i mean it, it yeah i mean he really brought that out and it it seems like we're a good we're starting to get a good point now even with game of thrones succeeding that something can still come out in fantasy and sci-fi and just hit the same mark and just create something new maybe discovery does that because they're going all in and what they're doing but we'll see how that one turns out excellent Okay, and uh, wow, look at the time. We're, we're bumping up <laughs> on two hours now. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. But uh, I want to thank everyone for, for hanging in with us. I hope you had a great time. We did. And uh, I hope you loved our content. Again, we did, but we're biased. We did it. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Again, thank, thank everyone for coming in. We appreciate it. And uh, as, as we go over all of our, uh, all of our uh, beautiful content here, uh, Duncan Idaho, do you have any, uh, any last words, any parting comments you can give to the, the masses that are viewing this right now? Um, tune in for Secret Empire number 10. Tune in for Secret <laughs> Empire number 10, yes. It's coming next week. Make no mistake. Number 9 <laughs> and number 10 will be, the, will be two comics. I'm absolutely sure of it. Uh... Tune in for that. But in Do the meantime, people, thank you very much. Uh, we we had a great time doing this. Uh, thank you, Duncan Idaho, your, uh, our, our guest host. He, he did an amazing job. And uh, his camera presence is on point. And all the other Foundry members said, no, no, he's not good on video. You're not going to want it. I thought I thought he had warts, and he was like he was like a, a hunchback or something. But no, he's fine. Look at him. He's fine. It's great. Yeah, they thought this was what they were going to get the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you uh, to all of our top subscribers and top donators, uh, especially Hicks, two hundred six of Daisy Fame and Elgarian, uh, who's uh, contributed to uh, Shroud of the Avatar. Thank you very much, Baldahar. I can't say about you enough. Thank you very much. He is a friend of our stream. We appreciate it. Oh, goodness. And all of our credits, please, please look at those. Uh, this is all the help we had in building this wonderful episode for you. And, yeah, thank you, everyone, for tuning in. And thank you to all of our fans. Everyone have a great day. Stay classy.